Is this thing on? I think it's on. Hey, this is John Culp in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I want to start today with just a little public service announcement, and that is when you are recording one of these HPR episodes, make sure that your recorder is actually recording. Um, The first attempt at this episode was last week, and I spoke for a good 30 minutes and quit everything, got home planning to edit, only to find that I had not recorded anything except about six seconds of silence. And so I'm being extra careful today to make sure that I'm recording. I see that I'm up to 40 seconds on my Zoom recorder, so it looks like things are going fine. Anyway, in this episode I want to talk about another overhaul project. The last one I mentioned was overhauling a public domain counterpoint textbook for use with my counterpoint classes. This is a different sort of overhaul, and it came about when I was made webmaster for the School of Music website at the university where I teach. Our old uh, webmaster took a job elsewhere, and I don't know that I was next in line, but I had the skills and the interest necessary to run a website. And so I inherited a site that was in pretty bad shape. I think the guy who was running it before had uh, more on his plate than he could handle and didn't have time really to keep it up as well as he would have liked to. But it was a a static HTML site built in Dreamweaver, largely using tables for formatting of the, you know, for page layout, not at all mobile-friendly, direct formatting everywhere. There was no main style sheet to control the appearance of the site. Many of the pages had content that was incorrect or out of date. Lots of the photos were really old. I mean, it was it was pretty messy. The site is hosted on a, a server here on the university somewhere. I don't know where it is, but we got some web space, and the only access I have to it is FTP. And so this is a little bit limiting, and there was no way for me to install a content management system on it or do anything of that sort. I mean, the, really, the only access I had was FTP to my little corner of the server. And so, at first, I did not plan to overall overhaul the website that much at all. What I really set out to do was not all that ambitious, and that was simply to make the site less embarrassing than it was. And to do that, I started going through all of the pages and trying uh, as a first step to uh, get a little bit more consistency in the appearance of the site, because there was a great deal of inconsistency in font, uh, in font type, and font size. Uh, sometimes even on one page, there would be two different font types for paragraphs. And, and so I went through and did a bunch of standardization of fonts as a very basic first step and started to uh, build a standard CSS file that would control the entire site. And then I went through and tried to reduce the amount of text that was on the site. Somehow uh, the text was way, way over the top. Uh, It was built in a time maybe where people had longer attention spans and could stand to read large amounts of text. But I, I think nowadays a website should have much less text than this. So I, I went through and tried to get things down to base. There was one page that had, I don't know, 20 or 25 full paragraphs of text 
and I managed to scrunch that down to a um, a table that had the relevant information in very pithy, terse layout. And so that everyone who saw it said, thank you, that is so much better. And so uh, things of that sort I, I went through and did uh, updated photographs. We uh, the My director actually hired a photographer, a professional photographer, to go around and take new photos of all of the faculty. And so I got very high-quality images to put up, and so gradually it got less embarrassing. I also encouraged my colleagues to send me videos or else post videos themselves up on YouTube or some other service where I could embed some more multimedia in the site. There was just too much text and not enough multimedia. And so these kinds of things were fine, and uh, that it definitely helped. But um, at some point, I decided to actually tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. And I think it was when I, I had learned a little bit of CSS layout. I, I knew already how to control things like um, text attributes with CSS, but it, at some point I decided to try to learn how to lay out web pages using CSS. I learned the basics of that by just reading online and seeing examples of it. And I thought, you know, maybe I can actually do this. The advantage of this, of course, is you know, getting the layout out of tables and into CSS is the just much better flexibility of the website. I really wanted to have a site that would work well on mobile devices. And so uh, once I learned the basics of CSS layout, I started building a new template for our website uh, using CSS instead of tables. And um, it took a while, but I got something that looked pretty decent and that would change dynamically according to the detected screen width of the device that was accessing it. I used as a guide, I suppose, the essential layout of the university website, which is run on Drupal. I should have mentioned that the entire university eventually will be using Drupal for uh, content management, but they're going department by department and helping people learn how to use it and helping them get their sites up and running. And the School of Music is not due for this migration until the spring of 2016. And I thought that was just too long, too far in the future to live with this terrible website. Until then, we had to do something right away to at least tide us over until we can get Drupal. So I made up a template that is based on the basic design of the university website as a whole. It has a top navigation thing, a, a header with the university logo, and then some text showing which department it is. And um, there is a left navigation panel, and then a main content area, and then at the bottom a footer and some navigation links with social media icons and things of that sort. I used colors that are part of the officially approved university palette of colors, which I found on, uh, there's a very helpful page on the uh, communications department website where they say these are the official, uh, like, primary palettes and then the secondary palette for other things. And so I, I came up with something that I thought was okay. I emailed a link to um, somebody who's kind of in charge of the website oversight 
And、um, she took a look at it and said, Yeah, that、uh, looks pretty good.、Uh, you might consider changing this color here or that color there. And so,、uh, after a couple of emails back and forth, I got the green light from higher ups about the design. And so, then began the process of taking every page on the old site and converting it to work with the new template. Um, since I didn't have a content management system to deal with this and I, could not,、um, I couldn't use Dreamweaver like the last person did, I, I don't necessarily think that Dreamweaver is an evil tool, although it seems to encourage bad habits if you are somebody who doesn't understand how websites work. But、uh, one of the features of Dreamweaver that I could have used is the push everything up to the server feature. And、uh, I'll get to that in a minute. You know, push it in a smart way, you know, only files that have been changed and things like this. But、um, I kind of had to come up with my own content management system. I, I wanted to separate presentation from content. And so、um, I wanted, when I worked on a web page, only to be working on the main content area. Either the, the text or the images that appear in the main content area, and did not want to have to worry about header, left nav bar, footer, all of those things. I, I wanted to keep all of that stuff separate and then build an entire page around the main content. So, the way I came up to do, with,、uh, to do this was to write a bash script. And、uh, this shouldn't be surprising to people who have heard my podcast before because it seems like a bash script is my solution just about every time. But、uh, I came up with an idea that I could keep the content area in a separate file with an extension called .contents. And in that file, I would just have the part that appears in the main content area. And then I would have a script that I would run on the .contents file, and it would assemble around it all of the navigation things, a, an image that would appear under the left navigation panel. And various other things that might change from one page to another. Anything that would be exactly the same on every page on the whole site, I kept in a separate plain text file that would then be、um, grabbed in the process of the bash script and inserted at the right place. There are certain things on web pages that change from one page to another, even if only a little bit, like the page title. Uh, so, all, every page on the site would say School of Music, but then there would be an M dash and then something indicating what page on the site it was, whether it was the list of ensembles or the faculty bio of somebody, whatever it might be. And so, I didn't want to have to edit the,、um, the, head, the header content of every file to change these things. So, I came up with a system. Where at the top of every .contents file, I would store certain variables in comments. So, for example, the page title would、uh, be stored in a, an HTML comment. And then part of the bash script would be to scrape through all of the、uh, comments at the very top of this file and extract the variables, the variables that it needed to put into place. So, there would be things like the, oh, let's see. The page name, okay, well, the page name, I suppose, is what I was just speaking of as the page title. And that is what appears in the browser. Where does that? It depends on the browser, but in Firefox, for example, it appears across the very top of the browser on whatever page you're、uh, looking at. 
the body ID, which is something that I would use for CSS purposes, um, navigation image, the image alternate text, the image caption, image title, and all of these things would have, well, the <clears throat> anything having to do with the image would be specifically for the image that appeared under the left navigation panel. Because I didn't want, I wanted a picture to be under there, but I didn't want to use the same one on every page on the site. That would be boring and kind of stupid. Um, and so um, part of the uh, variables at the top of the file then would tell the script which picture to use there and what caption, if any, to put under it what alternate text to put with it, and so forth. And it would just insert all of that stuff when it was building the page. And so I, I'm pretty proud of this script. It works very, very well. And uh, I can very quickly build all, what, 85 to 100? I'm not even sure how many pages we have on our website, but there are quite a lot. Uh, I can build all of them in 15 or 20 seconds. And it would be faster if I didn't put little sleep commands in there to make sure that things don't choke. But um, anyhow, um, <clears throat> so I came up with a way to build everything. The next thing to do uh, would be to uh, figure out a way to transfer it over to the server. Now, I had used FileZilla. FileZilla is an excellent open source FTP program. And it works fine, but um, as far as I could tell, there was not a way to tell it to do smart transfers of things. In other words, only to transfer files over there that needed to be transferred because they had just been updated. Uh, and so I looked around for a command line tool that I could use. I could not use rsync because I didn't have any SSH access to the server. But I found a tool that I had not heard of before called LFTP. And it does most of the things that I wanted from rsync. Uh, you can have uh, files excluded either on math, like a whole groups of files with, say, certain extensions, like all of the .txt files I did not want to be pushed. All of the .contents files also I didn't want to be pushed. So I can exclude all of those. And it also can tell, you know, based on the command you give it, only to update files that have either changed in size or in uh, date and timestamp and things like this. So anyway, it, it works pretty well. And so I had a, a pretty reliable and efficient way to transfer files over there. So that was good. Also, one of my big concerns in redesigning the website was that it worked well on mobile devices. And so in my CSS file, I have several breakpoints for different screen sizes, and it will either change font size or leave elements out or change the maximum image width size or things of this sort to make sure that everything lays out in a sane way on a smaller screen. It goes anywhere from 240 pixels wide up to, I think, breakpoints are at 320 and 460, 720, and maybe 1024. I have several breakpoints. Um, and one thing I found very handy when testing all of these different screen widths, because I don't have physical devices of all these different size, is a Firefox keystroke, Control plus Shift plus M, as in moon, Control plus Shift plus M. If you hit that while you're looking at a web page, it will change um, its layout so that it looks like you're looking at it through a small screen. 
and you can choose from any number of preset screen sizes or you can make a custom screen size to see how your page is going to look in that. It's a very, very handy tool for web development if what you're trying to do is um, optimize for screen sizes. Um, as far as that optimization for screen sizes, I had to learn that uh, by just reading around online and seeing examples of how people did it. The most crucial element is putting in the header of each page a line called viewport and setting uh, a couple of parameters in there. Let me see if I can find that here. Um, where do I put that? Meta link, meta. Oh, there it is. Meta name equals viewport, content equals width equals device width. Um, then you can set an initial scale. You can set a maximum scale that's larger if you want people to be able to zoom in. And then uh, user scalable equals either yes or no. Uh, this line will um, enable the, uh, the uh, website to respond to different screen widths. And then in your style sheet, you have to set up different media queries based on screen widths where you want it to start looking different. So it took a little bit of experimentation and stuff because I'm, I'm not a professional web developer. I'm a music professor, so I was learning all of this stuff on my own. But I'm going to have links on the show notes for the site so you can poke around and see what you think. <laughs> see whether I did a decent job or not. I, I'm pretty happy with it, and my colleagues are all happy with it because it's less embarrassing than it was. The entire site, except for two pages, is just HTML. I, I tried to conform to HTML5 standards. I also tried very hard to conform to all uh, web accessibility standards, and so I use various online website checker services for this. There's one called WebAIM. I think I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well, where you can put the URL for your site and it will check the various accessibility things, like making sure that you have alternate text for images and um, all, all kinds of things. I can't remember what all it checks right now, but my page has got the green light on uh, the accessibility front. I also learned... Um, I don't remember at what point. It was sometime after I had finished this whole overhaul. I learned about how you can have alternate style sheets. And I don't remember if on this one I did it or if it was just on my personal website. But I, I learned about alternate style sheets that users can choose themselves. And also I learned about a wonderful accessibility font called Open Dyslexic Font. And on my home website and on all of the HTML materials that I use for my uh, classes that I teach, I have started providing alternate style sheets so that users who have dyslexia can very quickly change to uh, the open dyslexic style sheet. And it, it changes a couple of layout things, but all, most importantly, it changes to the open dyslexic font, which by most accounts makes things much, much easier for a person with dyslexia to read accurately doesn't necessarily improve speed that much, but it does improve accuracy quite a lot. Uh, as a side note, I, I had two students in a recent class who were dyslexic, and I printed out their exams on exam day using open dyslexic font, and uh, they really appreciated it, said it, it made it much easier and less stressful for them to take their exams. So anyway, th that has to do with the style sheets. I also 
<clears throat> I wanted the the website to be light and flexible and to load quickly. And so I tried to optimize everything that I could to make sure that it would uh, load up fast. There's a, a tool, uh, one of the Google web developer tools you can use called PageSpeed. And I will have a link to that in the show notes as well. And you uh, just put in the URL for your site and it will check and see how well your site scores on the optimization scale. And I got this website where the desktop version scored like 95 to 96 out of 100. And then the mobile uh, version of it would score oh in, in the upper 80s out of 100. There were a couple of things that I could never get to score higher than that when it was loading up for a mobile device. But it, it was still much better than many of the sites that you see. There are two pages on the site that have JavaScript. One is the very front page where I have an image slider kind of thing. And the other one is a place where we list all of the various degree programs we have. And I wanted to hide the um, descriptions of the degrees using a bit of JavaScript so that the page wouldn't appear at first glance just to have so much text. And I want to thank one of my friends online, um, Bob Jonkman, uh, went back and forth with me a couple of times on uh, our StatusNet platform, helping me understand how my um, JavaScript was working on that page. It turns out that when, the way I first did it, I was not using JavaScript to hide the descriptions, but rather to display them. And so when uh, he went there, he's he's a little bit um, paranoid about JavaScript, and he has JavaScript disabled in his browsers, and he was not able to see any of the descriptions. And of course, that is not the behavior I wanted. I, I wanted someone who went there without JavaScript enable, enabled to just see everything. And anyone who went there with JavaScript enabled would have all of the things collapsed, and then they could click on each um, degree program, and then it would expand to show them the description. And so um, with uh, Bob's help, I got that sorted out, and it behaves in a um, JavaScript, um, in a Node.js-friendly way. So I could go there on a text browser like eLinks, or um, Bob can go there on his JavaScript-disabled browser and see everything just fine. Um, let me see. Part of the optimization was, of course, to make sure that all of the images were scaled properly for PNG files, which were not most, most of the faculty images and images of our students performing and so forth were in JPEG. And so I would just scale those to size and leave it at that. For the various PNG things on the site, I, um, I used another tool called um, tinypng.com. There's a, there's a web-based tool called tinypng, and you can reduce the file size of PNGs there, which I think by default are, are a little bit too large, but uh, I was able to reduce the file size by the P, of the PNG files by something like 75 or 80 percent in most cases, and so that, of course, helps loading up the uh, pages faster, especially on mobile devices. I also used a minification tool to minify the... uh, If you're not sure what minification is, it's this crazy thing where it just removes all white space from your HTML page. And so 
when you are editing the HTML, you don't want it to look like this because it's too, it's not human readable. You need to have proper indentation and uh, stuff like that to make sure that you can find what you're looking for and edit it quickly. But a web browser doesn't really care how about this indentation and about comments and things like that. And so um, before you put it up on a, a web server, it's um, suggested that you minify the code to get rid of all comments and white space. And that helps it to load faster. And so part of the build script, my, my bash script that assembles the entire page around the .contents file is to minify everything. So if you look at the source code of any of the pages on this site, you'll see that they're minified. And there are tools online that you can use to go the other way as well. If you have some minified code that you need to expand to show proper indentation, then you can just copy and paste them into this little uh, text box and then click unminify or something, and it will expand it for you. But uh, for my part, I, I only edit the um, .contents file, which has all of the comments and the indentation that I need to do um, efficient editing. And um, I never even look at the minified code. Let's see. I think that is probably about it. There was something that occurred to me a moment ago that I wanted to mention, and now I don't remember what it was. Um... Not that important, but uh, feel free to go over to the School of Music website. I will put a link in the show notes so you can check out what I did. I wish I still had a link to the old version so that you could see the before and after, but I'll, I'll just tell you, the before was really very ugly and not the least bit flexible, whereas the after was actually pretty good. Oh, I should mention one other thing that I found in the course of doing this, and that is a terrific set of icons called Font Awesome. Font Awesome is, um, it has some kind of free license. I, I don't want to say the wrong license, but if you go to the Font Awesome website, you can get these free icons to use on your site. And I was able to use things like um, the little three bars for uh, a menu on the mobile site and the various social networking icons and things like that. And they're, they're great because they're actually fonts. They're not images. And um, so that makes them very easy to scale. They're very high quality. I, I don't know how they go about it. I think people request certain icons to be done, and then someone creates them in Inkscape or something of that sort, and then adds it to the font set. But I highly recommend Font Awesome if you are in a position where you need to uh, develop a website. Uh, it's It's great. All right, well, I think that's it. I'm done talking about the School of Music website, and it looks like my recorder is still recording, so I'm happy about that, and um, I guess I will talk to you guys some other time. I'm not sure what my next topic will be, but uh, we will see. Take care. Bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. 
Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.